New Hope. What's going on, everybody? Uh, my wife and I have been in uh, ministry together for a long time, and we had a guy, a uh, young guy at our church that uh, was kind of new to the church or new to us, and uh, we got a group that meets in our house, and when he first would come to our house, uh, he would be real polite. He'd knock on the door, you know what I'm saying, wait for us to actually come answer the door, come in, wait for us to tell him where to sit and all that type of stuff. Uh, and then recently, like this week, you know, we meet for group. He don't even wait, you know what I'm saying? He just come in kick his shoes off, go in the fridge and all that. Um, I just want y'all to know, that's me at New Hope. I'm not a guest preacher no more. You know what I'm saying? I've been coming for a long time, and it's, uh, it's home, it's family. Uh, it's just a blessing to be able to be uh, back with you. I also uh, really want to give a shout-out uh, to Pastor Reese and the leaders and, and, and staff here who have been just faithfully continuing to lead. Can we just take a minute and give God thanks for the team that's here? Come on, y'all can do better than that. Can we give God thanks for this team? Yeah, yeah. God has been working. He's been moving. And uh, I'm just grateful, man, that I get to, that I get to be here and, and be a part of it. Now, a couple weeks ago, uh, well, a couple months ago, actually, so my dad is a pastor uh, in D.C., in Northeast D.C. Uh, shout out to D.C., anybody here from the DMV area. Yeah. <laughs> And, um, uh, and long story, but I've, I'm pastoring in another church, a very different kind of church. I grew up in a traditional black church in the inner city, uh, and, uh, and now I'm in a, a church very similar uh, to this. And so we're in different places on Sundays, and so a couple months ago, I get a text message that my mom has been rushed to the hospital. She was uh, at church, was feeling weird, uh, feeling real dizzy, uh, and so I actually wasn't preaching that Sunday. I'm just out greeting people and helping to lead. And so I'm like, y'all got it. I had to go to the hospital um, and be there with my mom. And ended up finding out that my mom had vertigo. Now, some of y'all have experienced vertigo before. If you've seen somebody experience it, vertigo is undefeated. It's not a game. Like, it's not just like you dizzy. Um, it's serious. So I didn't fully understand what it was. Looked it up. And uh, this is vertigo, right? It's the false sense that your surroundings are spinning or moving. And that's what my mom would say is like every, all of a sudden, like out of nowhere, everything just started spinning. And she just started feeling just so nauseous. And here's what's happening uh, in, this is just WebMD, you know what I'm saying? This is not, I don't have no medical degree. This is just me just reading straight off the website. It says, uh, with vertigo, here's what happens. Your brain receives signals from the inner ear that aren't consistent with what your eyes and sensory nerves are receiving. Vertigo is what results as your brain works to sort out the confusion. So you follow. There's a signal that your inner ear is receiving. It doesn't line up, though, with what your eyes are experiencing. And vertigo is the process of trying to sort through all of that. Here's why I bring that up. Because that same dynamic can happen in our relationship with God. It's why Dr. Tim Keller calls it spiritual vertigo. It's a season that is disorienting where everything that you believe to be foundational feels like it's moving all of a sudden. Tim Keller calls it spiritual vertigo. I call it a crisis of faith. And so let me define this because this is what we're going to be talking about today. A crisis of faith is when what you believe conflicts with what you experience. Or if you're like me, anybody grow up in church? 
I know some of y'all did not grow up in church. I did grow up in church. It, it, let me switch up the definition. It's when what you've been taught to believe, what you've been raised to believe is true, conflicts with what you actually experience in real life, what you actually experience in the real world. And there's this disorientation that happens, this confusion that happens when those things come into conflict. How many of you have had a crisis of faith? A lot of us have had a crisis of faith. Some of you are like, I'm not quite sure. Let me ask you a couple of questions just to get us all on the same page. You ever felt like following Jesus was keeping you from something? You ever gone through a time where you doubted God's goodness or ever found yourself discouraged as you compared your life to other people's lives? You ever been angry at, can we just be honest? You ever been angry at God because it seemed like your circumstances were unfair? Or maybe had some intellectual or theological questions that made it difficult for you to really believe the Bible. And you look around, you're like, I don't, I don't understand how all of y'all are really believing that two plus two equals five, but it's just not, it's not adding up to me. It's a crisis of faith. So we've been in this series, Searching for Purpose, where we're coming to the Psalms. This, the Psalms are like a soundtrack for life, because there's a song, a psalm for every season or situation that you've ever been through, ever will go through, that give expression to what you might think or feel in that season or situation. And the, in the process of, of, of walking with God, there are seasons and situations Right, where what you believe or been taught to believe conflicts with what you experience and it sends you on this search for purpose and meaning and, and trying to reorient yourself. In Psalm 73, we meet a man named Asaph who is walking through this. And we're gonna walk through Psalm 73 pretty much line by, by line and uh, see what God has to say to us through. So let me just pause and pray before we dive in here. Father, we wanna pause and we... We want to acknowledge you. Father, even as I was praying, as we were singing, we were worshiping, just praying, God, our hearts are open to you. Lord, we know that you don't just speak through your word. You work through your word. And so, God, we pray that you would not only speak to our hearts, but work in our hearts by the power of your Holy Spirit. Father, where we have hard hearts, where there are some of us who are here that are keeping you at a distance or feel that you are just distant, Lord, I pray that you would meet us right where we are. God, we make ourselves available to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, Psalm 73, these are song lyrics written for the children of Israel, written by a man named Asaph. And we know from Old Testament history who Asaph was. So 1 Chronicles chapter 16 Verse 4, it says, Then he appointed some of the Levites as ministers before the ark of the Lord to invoke, as to, to pray, to thank, and to praise the Lord, the God of Israel. And Asaph was the chief. So Asaph is the chief Levite. He's the chief worship leader. He's responsible for organizing right, these, these, worship, these epic encounters with the presence of God. And he wrote this song from his own personal experience. And so verse 1 and 2 set the stage for the rest of the psalm. Verse 1. Y'all ready to dive in? All right. A couple of you. Y'all ready? All right. Verse 1. Here we go. Asaph says, Surely God 
is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. Now let's pause there for a second. That's a doctrinal statement. That's a statement of faith. Just a general principle, general truth. God is good. You grew up in church. All the time, right? And all the time? Come on, that's what I'm talking about, yeah. This is what Asaph grew up believing. This is what he grew up being taught. He knew this. God is good. But here's what the rest of the psalm explores. What do you do when it seems like that's not true? When you're like, I already know the, I know the church thing to say. I know the cliches. I know the doctrinal statements. I know the creeds. But what do I do when I'm in a season or a situation where it feels like or looks like those things that I have believed or been taught to believe or other people are trying to get me to believe, what do I do when it seems like that's not actually true? So that's why Asaph says in verse 2, he says, but as for me, I can't speak for the rest of y'all, but as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I nearly lost my foothold. See, if you're new to the Bible, you read through the Old Testament in Hebrew literature, a relationship with God is often described or pictured as walking with God up a mountain. And Asaph, when he says, my feet had almost slipped, what he's saying here is, I almost abandoned my faith. I almost got to the point where I just gave up on God, gave up on God's promises, gave up on God's will. It was too difficult to keep believing, too difficult to keep obeying. I couldn't, I couldn't make all the things add up in my mind. He had a crisis of faith. And for him, he tells us what sparked that crisis of faith. Verse three, he says, for I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. He says, I look at people who have rejected God or neglected God, refused to believe or trust God, and they're, they're living however they want to live, and it seems like they're living their best life. Like, I'm scrolling through their Instagram, and their life is amazing. They ignore God. They don't care about what God has to say in their word. They live their own truth. They do them. And it seems like their life is working out great for them, God. They're prosperous in verses 4 and 5. They're prideful in verses 6 through 9. They look down on people, take advantage of the weak. And they're increasingly popular and influential in verses 10 and 11. And then in verse 12... Asaph kind of lands and he gives his final assessment. Look at what he says in verse 12. He says, this is what the wicked are like. Always free of care. Always free of struggles. They go on amassing wealth. You see what Asaph is saying here? He's looking at them. He's like, God, I've been following you. And I can't figure out why you're allowing 
these things to happen to me. I can't figure out why you're withholding these things from me while I watch other people flourish who aren't even trying to follow you. He's comparing his life with other people's lives, and envy begins to distort his perspective. And that's, I want to pause there just for a minute, just a little parenthesis, because I know we're talking about a crisis of faith, but I don't want you to miss what Asaph is saying about the, the, the way envy can chip away at your relationship with God, because envy always distorts our perspective. It causes us to over-exaggerate the good in other people's lives. And you, you see it happen. So here's an example. Fellas, you're dating a girl, right? You're dating a girl, and she says to you, you about nine months in now. And she's like, you never take me out anymore. I know, it's a little ner- you're a little nervous. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you never take me out. And, I, and even this happens in mar- marriage too. You know what I'm saying? My wife is like, you never, you used to, but you never take me out. I'm like, for real? I've, I never take you out. We've never been outside. (laughs) Really? But listen, here's the thing. She's not, it's not literal language like you never. That's, it's emotional language, right? To communicate like the depth of the pain. Parents, your kids do it all the time. You never let me have fun, right? (laughs) And so you look at what Asaph says here. You look at verse 4. He says, He says, he's looking at the wicked, he says, they have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. So envy causes us to over-exaggerate the good in other people's lives. Why? Because we compare our struggles to their highlights. Right? We over-exaggerate the good in their lives, and then envy causes us to underappreciate God's goodness in our own life. You look at verse 14. When he looks at his own life, he feels like he's suffering how long? All day long. With new suffering coming his way every morning. In other words, he feels like these people don't have any problems. And I seem to only have problems. That's what envy does to you. It's a microscopic lens. It causes you to zoom in on and focus on the highlights, what appears to be this wonderful, beautiful life, the relationship that they are in, the career that they have, what, how good their kids are doing. It causes you to focus in on, on what appears to be so good in their life, and it just causes you to completely lose sight of the goodness of God in your own life, that he woke you up this morning. That his mercies for you have been new every morning in so many ways. If you would just slow down to actually think about it and not let the things that are going wrong cause you to put God on trial and say that he's not doing anything good in your life. So Asaph is struggling And it's not just what he sees in other people's lives. This is personal with him and God because look at what he says in verse 14. All day long I've been afflicted and every morning brings new punishments. He feels like God is the one who is punishing him, that God has abandoned him. And he's just like, God, I've I've done all of this for you. 
I've made all of these sacrifices in order to follow you. Times when I wanted to wild out. When, when I really wanted to be out here living my life and I made a decision instead to honor you, to obey you, to trust you. And yet you're allowing this in my life while I watch all of this in other people's lives. And that's why he says, this is where he lands in verse 13. He says, surely in vain I've kept my heart pure and have washed my hands in innocence. He says, what's the point? What's the point? What's the point of continuing to pray when you won't answer my prayers? What's the point of continuing to believe your promises when I'm not seeing you come through? What's the point of continuing to sing these songs about you being a miracle worker? And I'm asking you to do something so basic in my life and you refuse to do it. That's where you can begin to hear that whisper of Satan, just like Adam and Eve heard that whisper in the garden. Did God really say? Is God really good? It seems like he's much more interested in your obedience than he is your joy or your happiness. And he convinces you that you have to choose between the two and you start believing the lies of the enemy while you're in a season of struggle or doubt or waiting. And this is what's happening to Asaph. He's having a crisis of faith. Let me ask you, what was it for you? What is it for you? What's that season or situation? What's that thing that has caused what you believe to conflict with what you're actually experiencing? Because it's different for all of us. I put out on my Instagram stories a couple of months ago. I just said, hey, if you've gone through a crisis of faith, you either abandoned your faith completely or you, were, you were, felt like you were losing your faith, but you made it through to the other side with stronger faith. Yeah. I want you to DM me because I want to hear your story. Yeah. And I got so many responses, almost 80 responses from people telling me different things. And, and, and it was so many different things. It was for some people, it was, it was just seeing injustice in the world. We're in Black History Month. I got had so many black Christians who said to me, when I look at the history of Christianity in America, and I think about the, the, the current injustices that African-Americans face, and I look at how so many in the church respond to that, it's caused me to wonder, is Christianity even true? Victims of abuse and injustice who have struggled to believe that there could possibly be a good God if he allowed that to happen. Maybe for you it's more intellectual doubts as you read the Bible or you think about things in life. Maybe it's just personal suffering. There's so many different things. And here's the thing, often in church, we don't do a good job of preparing people and discipling people to walk with God in the midst of doubt, loving them through a crisis of faith, because here's what tends to happen. A lot of conservative Christians, they just condemn doubt. You can't even ask no questions. But a lot of progressive Christians, they just celebrate doubt. That's your truth. 
The Bible doesn't do either one of those things. Like God doesn't just condemn doubt or just celebrate doubt, but God invites us to bring our doubts to him, to bring them to him. And so listen, doubt can actually be something that strengthens your faith if you handle it appropriately. Why? We see this all throughout the Bible. The father that came to Jesus and says, Lord, I believe, but what? Help my unbelief. Doubt can be something when you bring it to God that he uses to actually deepen your roots, to take you from superficial spirituality to bedrock solid faith in him because your faith has been through some things. It can actually be something that strengthens your faith. So what do you do when you're experiencing a crisis of faith? Well, I just want to point out a few things from this psalm. And I just want to frame this for you, for you to spend time in Psalm 73 on your own. Maybe this afternoon or sometime this week to just sit with God in what he says in this psalm. Four things. And we'll walk through them quickly. I was giving to you up top if you're taking notes. If you're experiencing a crisis of faith, four things you got to do. You got to be honest. You got to be intentional. You got to be careful. And I want you to be encouraged. Number one, you got to be honest. You got to be honest about where you actually are. Because God meets you where you are, not where you pretend to be. And some of us, especially those of us that grew up in church. See, a lot of people that didn't grow up in church, they're they're inclined to be a bit more honest. But one of the things that happen when you grow up in church, you kind of learn how to fake it. You kind of learn how to just act like nothing's wrong, to act like your faith hasn't been shaken. And some of us struggle to even be honest with ourselves to say, I'm struggling to believe this. I don't know if I actually believe this anymore because we're afraid of what might happen after that. But you have to be honest with yourself and then honest with God about where you are. And here's why, because we see it all throughout Scripture. Doubt and faith are not mutually exclusive. Just because you're doubting doesn't mean you don't believe. And we believe the lie of the enemy when doubt creeps in and the enemy will whisper to us, you see that doubt? That means you don't believe anymore. So instead of doubt driving us to God, it draws us away from God. But we have to be honest with ourselves and with God, and we have to be honest in community with other believers. When I sent out that that poll on Instagram, the most common theme for people who made it to the other side with stronger faith, the most common theme by far was I I stayed connected in relationships, and I had community with people who were willing to walk me through that. One woman wrote this. She said, I'm a 51-year-old woman, and I've been walking through a dark season of doubt, but I'm getting to the other side. She said, the church is so uncomfortable with dark places and doubt, but God is not. She said, I sensed his permission to be raw and honest with him, and I'm so fortunate to have a husband and a few friends who have been safe spaces for me to let it out and process through. You need to find some trusted relationships, people who will create an environment where you can let it out and process it through. And I'm telling you, I've been 
coming to and connected with this church for a long time. You have pastors, you have leaders, you have staff in this church who will give you a safe space to let it out and to process it through. But you have to be willing to show up as you truly are and to be honest about where you are with your questions, with your doubts, with your pain, with your struggle. And I love what Jude 22 says. Listen, God had you in mind when he inspired this to be in the Bible. You know what he says? He says, be merciful to those who doubt. He says to all y'all self-righteous, judgmental Christians who act like you've never been through nothing, act like you never had no questions, act like you've never had doubts, I want you to pause for a moment. And I, this is God saying to his people, when you experience somebody going through doubt, I want you to show mercy to them. I want you to show them the kind of mercy and patience and grace and steadfast love that I have toward them. And so listen, you, if you're going through a crisis of faith, you need, you need to open up and be honest in community with people who will be that safe space for you. You got to be honest. Here's number two. You got to be intentional. You got to be intentional. Look at what Asaph says in verse 13, in verse 16, he says, when I tried to understand all this, he's looking at the prosperity of the wicked. He's confused about what that means about God. He's tempted to judge God based on his circumstances based, rather than based on his circumstances or on what he knows about God. He's just confused. Here's what he says. He says, when I tried to understand all this, it troubled me deeply. And y'all, I grew up in a traditional black church. This right here, verse seven, this pivot we about to go on is where somebody would take a seat at the organ. And the Hammond B3 would start to warm up. Because look at what he says. He says, when I tried to understand all this, it troubled me deeply until. Until, until I entered the sanctuary of God. He says, listen, everything was confusing. Everything seemed cloudy. I struggled, but I hung on long enough until I could actually get myself into the presence of God. And as I'm in the presence of God, he says something mysterious and supernatural begins to happen. And I can't fully explain it, but God has a way of getting down up underneath the doubts and underneath the questions and underneath the pain. And God can give you what the scriptures call that peace that surpasses understanding. That God can minister to the depth of your soul and he can reveal himself to you in a fresh way. A fresh way that rejuvenates your faith. A fresh way that helps you to see and understand that although you don't have all of your questions answered, you do know enough to believe that God is good, that he'll never leave you nor forsake you, that, that Philippians 1, the work that he's begun in you, he will bring the one to bring it to completion. And in the meantime, he will not give up on you. This is what happens to Asaph. He continues to participate in corporate worship. He continues, even by a thread, to hang on to what he knows about God. And here's why I bring this up, because I see this all the time. As I'm walking with people through their challenges and through their, their struggles, there's a whole movement of deconstructing your faith. And there are some things we need to deconstruct, things that are more cultural than they are biblical. But there's an unhealthy deconstruction where we abandon the, the core truths of the faith. And I walk with people through that. And here's one of the great temptations. The temptation is in a crisis of faith 
to actually neglect the things that God has designed to strengthen your faith. So you're struggling with your faith and you abandon the things that strengthen faith. And I understand because you feel like a fraud. You, you feel like, well, if, I, if I'm struggling to believe the Bible, then why continue to read the Bible? If I struggle to actually feel the presence of God like everybody else is talking about, then why actually continue to worship and to, and to come to church? If I don't even know what I believe about the church because the church has hurt me, then why even show up to begin with? You don't want to be hypocritical. And God doesn't want you to be hypocritical, but here's the lie, that because you're struggling and you're going through doubt, that that means you can't simultaneously continue to do the things that God has given you to actually strengthen your faith and sustain you in the meantime. I love how James K.A. Smith puts it. He said, worship isn't just something we do. It is where God does something to us. He says, worship is the heart of discipleship because it is the gymnasium in which God retrains our hearts. We got to be honest. We got to be intentional. But here's number three. And the culture is not going to tell you this. You got to be careful. Look at what Asaph says in verse 18. The vertigo was wearing off. He's starting to see things more clearly. Remember, he started off the psalm by saying, I felt like my foot was slipping. But he says in verse 18, surely you place them on slippery ground. What he's saying here is, in my crisis of faith, I thought I was the one that was on slippery ground. But now I have more clarity and I realize, no, it's those who abandon you, God. They are the ones who are on slippery ground. He says, you cast them down to ruin. That's God's judgment. How suddenly they are destroyed, completely swept away by terrors. They are like a dream when one awakes. When you arise, Lord, you will despise them as fantasies. You know what Asaph is saying? What he's saying is, listen, it's very easy to begin to think that you can do whatever you want to do and you can believe whatever you want to believe and you can live your truth and you can reject God's truth and that everything will be sweet, and there will be no consequences to your decisions to reject God. And Asaph says it's an illusion. It's an illusion. Let me illustrate this to help you out. Some of you might remember. You remember when Steve Harvey was hosting the Miss Universe? Some of y'all are laughing because you already know what I'm about to, the story I'm about to tell. But for those, the rest of you, I don't even remember what year it was, but he's hosting Miss Universe pageant, and he gets to the very end, and like, man, he says it with his chest too, man. He, he like, he, he's like, Miss, Colum Miss Columbia is, is, I don't remember what year it was, 20, whatever, uh, Miss Universe, right? He's, and, and everybody just goes in. they roaring applause, and she's crying. She's so excited, and they come out, and they crown Miss Columbia, and then things get awkward. You can find this on YouTube. It just, it looks weird for a moment because you see Steve Harvey like come out the back and he's walking through. He just looks real, I don't know. And he interrupts everybody. And he says, ladies and gentlemen, I sincerely apologize. But Miss Columbia is actually the runner up. 
he called the wrong person. Miss Universe is actually Miss Philippines. And like, everybody's confused. It's like slow clap. They're like, I don't really know. Miss Philippines, she's, she don't know. She's like super excited, but like, is this actually happening? I should probably feel bad for Miss Columbia, but I'm actually really excited right now. She don't know what to do, right? It's this weird, awkward moment where there's this reversal. And here's what God says in his word. He says, there is going to be a great reversal one day. Because see, right now, right now, we're in a season, right, where God is patient and he's merciful. And he continues sending us and sending people the gospel and continues in his mercy and his grace, allowing us to enjoy his goodness, trying to draw our hearts, trying to reveal his truth to us. And every single one of us in some way, shape, or form have stiff-armed God. We, we rebel against him. We reject his truth. And right now, the world claims to have the authority to declare who's winning. And you know who's winning according to the world? Those who live their truth. Oh, not those crazy people that actually believe the Bible. Not the people that actually surrender themselves to God. Not the people that actually are willing to make sacrifices and, 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 and restrain their, their flesh, but, but who, are, who will pursue God's will and pursue God's presence. No, no, no. Those aren't the people who are winning. The people who are willing are winning are the people who are free to just do them. And God says there is coming a day where the truth will be fully and finally revealed. Where everything that he says in his word Every single one of us will not only realize that he was for real about it and that it was true, but we will also actually agree on that day because every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. There will be no dispute. There will be no disagreement. All of us will see and understand what is actually true, and we will agree. And here's the truth that God is revealing to us right now, that every single one of us are loved by God and made in his image, but we have chosen to take the gifts that God has given us and use those gifts to actually reject him. And that separates us from him, and he promises that as a holy and just God, one day, one day, we will stand before him in judgment, and that day will be irreversible. And we will have to pay the penalty and price for our own sins for all of eternity apart from him. And yet, he loved you and me so much. He loved us so much that he sent prophet after prophet after prophet throughout the Old Testament to promise that he would come himself to bring salvation. And then he sent his son, Jesus, who showed up, God, in human flesh, to live a perfectly righteous life in our place that we can never live. 
And he died on the cross for our sins, shed his blood as a sacrifice to atone for our sins. And he rose from the grave so that you and I would believe and know that he has the authority to forgive sins. And when we turn from our sin and put our trust in Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life, not as one option, not as our homeboy, not as a good teacher, but as the King of kings and the Lord of lords, when we do that, God makes you and I a promise that every Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, will be saved. That's his promise for all of us. And so be careful, be careful believing the lies of the enemy and, 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 and the cultural consensus that says, you know what, it doesn't matter what you believe, all paths lead to God. You can get to heaven any way you decide or any way we decide in 2023, and it'll be different in 2033 and different in 2043. No, God says there's one way. His name is Jesus. His name is Jesus, and it's the same way for everybody. And so there's so many of you who have made that decision to put your trust in Jesus. And you've known his goodness and you've known his mercy. And so even if you find yourself in a crisis of faith or in a season of struggle or doubt or difficulty, here's just the last thing I wanna, I wanna give you. I, I want you and I believe God wants you to be encouraged. Be encouraged. I'm talking like in the midst of the crisis of faith, in the midst of the doubt, in the midst of the struggle. Be encouraged, and here's why. Because God is still with you. I know you can't feel it right now. I know it, 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 it doesn't all add up. You're struggling. I just want you to see it straight from God's word. Look at what Asaph says here. He says, he says when my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. Let me tell you what he's saying. One woman DM'd me. She said, I was dealing with a lot of grief and heartache, and the deep sadness and depression was unlike anything I had experienced. She said, I hated God. Truly, she says, I cursed him out more times than I want to admit. I was just a mess, and I was so angry at God. That's what it means to be senseless and ignorant and like a brute beast before you. She's like, I hated God. I cussed him out. And look at what Asaph says, though, verse 23. And yet, God, I'm always with you. And here it is. You hold me by my right hand. You know what he's saying? Remember the beginning of the psalm. He felt like he was slipping. He felt like he couldn't hold on to faith anymore. And what he realizes after he gets through that season is God was the one that was holding him the whole time. That that is the grace and the mercy of God. God's not built like so many of us where we just write people off because they're struggling or because they say something offensive that even when we are struggling to hold on to God, God is faithful to hold on to us. Why? Because it's not the strength of your faith that saves you. It's the strength of the one that you put your faith in. 
And if God has worked in your life, if God has revealed himself to you, if God has led you to a place in your life where you genuinely have put your trust in Jesus and you've been born again and you've been given his spirit, you are a son, you are a daughter of God, and you may go through a season where you even struggle to call yourself a son or a daughter, but God does not stop calling you a son or a daughter of God. He's holding you even if you feel like your faith is slipping through your fingers. He's sustaining you even if you feel like you're drifting. He is the one who is able to keep you from falling. He says in verse 24, God, you guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will take me into glory. He says, whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. He's saying, God, who else am I going to go to? It's a struggle, but God, you've been too good. You're too holy. You're too righteous. You're too merciful. You're too just. You're too powerful. You've done too much, revealed too much for me to just walk away. He says, my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. God is still with you in the midst of a crisis of faith. And these last two verses, listen, God can still use you. Be encouraged. God can still use you. He is not done with you. He's not done with your life. He's not done with your ministry because your faith has been rocked and you're struggling. Look at what Asaph says. Don't take my word for it. Verse 27, he says, those who are far from you will perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you. That's his judgment. But as for me, it is good to be near God. I've made the sovereign Lord my refuge, and here it is, and I will tell of all of your deeds. Hear me. There are people that need to hear your story. Not the fake story. Not the perfectly cleaned up Instagram reel that you put together with some mood music underneath it. (laughs) Not the cliche. But the reality that we actually see in Scripture, that there are seasons in life, even as a faithful follower of Jesus, where something happens and it rocks you to your core, or some question comes to your mind that you can't figure out, and you go through a season where you don't feel his presence anymore, you're not even sure you believe anymore, but you realize that he is the one who never breaks his covenant promises, and he holds you up. And there are people in your life that need to hear of the goodness of God that you've experienced. Your kids need to hear about your doubts. They need to hear about those years that you were running reckless, where you were out here doing the same stuff that they're doing and how God sustained you and revealed himself to you. There's people at your job. There's younger believers who are struggling to grow in their faith. There are neighbors that don't just need to see this perfectly sanitized version of Christianity, but they need to see what's real because it's through the realness of your story that they see the realness of who God actually is. 
And God can still use you. Yes, you. Not just the people you see up on stage. But he can use you to reveal his goodness and glory to people who need to be reminded of what we learned in verse 1. That God is good. That he's good. And so listen, as we close, I want to pray. I want to pray for you. You here, those of you who are watching, there are some of you who you don't have a relationship with God. You've never truly, I'm not talking about grew up in church like me, because I didn't truly start following Jesus until I was in college. I'm talking about where you've actually had an encounter with the grace of God, and you've trusted the gospel, and you've been born again, and not, not perfectly, but but something changes in the inside of you where you desire to know him and to love him and to obey him. And you depend on his power. And you rely on his promise that your sins have been forgiven, not because you've earned it, but simply because Jesus has done everything necessary in his life, death, and resurrection for you to be accepted to God. There are some of you who need to make that decision today, to put your trust in Jesus. And there are others of you who are going through a crisis of faith. And you're struggling to hang on. You're struggling to believe. You're struggling to worship. You're struggling to serve. And I want to pray for you too. So I want to ask you to do something. If you're willing, if if you're willing to just be honest, I'm not going to ask you to say anything or do anything weird. But if you are in the midst of a crisis of faith, maybe you're struggling to just believe in God or the Bible or Christianity in general, Or maybe you're just struggling to believe a particular promise or aspect of God's character. I want to ask, would you just be willing to just stand where you are? Because I just want to pray for you. I see you. I see you. If you're, I just want you to look around, one, so you can pray, but two, because I know there are some of you who are too afraid or ashamed to stand, and I want you to see that there are people around you. If you've been coming for a little while, you might see a leader. You might see somebody who's been outside greeting, standing right now. Why? Because it's real in here. And God meets us really where we are, not where we pretend to be. And I believe, and I've been praying, and Pastor Reese and the staff have been praying, and worship, we've been praying, praying that God would do for you what we just saw him do in Asaph, that God would renew you where you've been in a wilderness season. You've been in a dry and weary land. And it's difficult to feel the nearness and the presence of God. I'm praying that God will reverse that today. Where you've been struggling to believe in his promises and your faith feels so weak or just feels non-existent, I'm praying that God will revive you according to his word. I'm praying that God the Holy Spirit would do a work in your heart and that he would sustain you and strengthen you and transform you. And it's not on the strength of my word, it's on the strength of his word, that the work that he began in you, the work he began in you when you were 12 or when you were 25 or when you were 62, the work that he began in you, he says he will sustain it and he will be the one to bring it to completion. He's the one who's holding you. So come on, let's go to God together in prayer. Father, we thank you. We thank you, Father. 
And you never start something that you don't finish. God, I pray for these brothers and sisters who are standing or those who are watching or listening who are in a season where they're honestly saying, I'm struggling right now. God, I thank you that in, in, some, in a way, way that's weird to us, God, you delight in them right now because of their honesty, because of their willingness to bring that before you. God, I pray that they would sense that delight in their spirit now. God, I pray, God, that they would just sense you singing over them, God. Inviting them, Lord God, back home, inviting them, Lord God, to just step into this process of renewal with you. That it's not always sensational, it always doesn't feel spectacular, but it's real nonetheless. Lord, I pray that you would strengthen their faith. I pray, Lord God, that you would turn the tide in their spiritual walk. I pray, Lord God, that you would open their hearts and you would pour in your love, that they would know how high and how wide and how long and how deep your love is for them. Would you give them a fresh revelation of your love and of your mercy and of your grace and of your peace? And God, I pray for those, Lord, who have not to this point even had a true relationship with you, that today you would draw them to turn from their sin and trust in you and that they would be saved. We love you, Father, because you first loved us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.